theme song has been stuck in my head for 72 hours at least <laughs> that's really rough <laughs> yeah it's very catchy and but also like they do play it before every episode and the episodes are short and i just like kept them going and it just kept playing over and over again and like i'm not going to but i could sing the entire theme song for you right now <laughs> don't sing it recite it like a poem <laughs> animaniacs we are zany to the max but there's a, this whole part with like Bill Clinton plays the sax and wait, 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 wait. The theme song references Bill Clinton. Yes. Okay. So I guess let's start here. So the thing. So it was part of Fox's uh, new animation lineup, and so in the '90s, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was like the number one kid show on in general, but also on the Fox Channel. And so this was something kind of made to to rival that. This was always number two. It was second banana to the Power Rangers the entire time it was on the air. Where it came from is that Steven Spielberg had previously made Tiny Toon Adventures, which was like a Bugs Bunny thing. I didn't look too much into that, but it's a something. So then coming off of that, he wanted to make something else, something kind of irreverent. And that's kind of, that's the word I'm going to use a lot is irreverent because that's kind of like the style of comedy for this. Uh, But the Animaniacs, a lot of people ask, what are they? Like what kind of animal they are? It never really says. They kind of look like dogs almost, but they're supposed to look like kind of like a Mickey Mouse, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit kind of character, sort of alluding to the golden age of Hollywood in a lot of ways. That makes sense for that, uh, the way that they look, that they would be modeled after that. Yeah. And so the whole backstory that they tell you at the beginning of all the episodes is that they were created at the Warner Brothers Studios uh, because they wanted a new line of animated characters. And so this animator made them and they came to life and they just had they made some movies according to like the, you know, in the show, like they, they made some movies, but they were all really weird and they never released them. And then they were just too, too crazy and they had to lock them up in the Warner Brothers water tower. And that's where they lived until the 90s when they escaped and then uh, wreaked havoc. So their names are Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. They're the Warner Brothers and then Dot is, and their sister. Like she, that's like her thing she always says. But the reason she's named Dot is because it's like the Warner Bros Dot and she's the Dot at the end of like the abbreviation. Oh, that makes, that's kind of funny. But also the woman as the afterthought as always <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and she she's kind of like the um she is a very eye rolly kind of character where like the the boys do a lot of like goofy stuff and then she's like <laughs> um but she she's sort of the witty one which is nice and, and the boys get to be kind of more drooly kind of you know knuckle dragging kind of characters occasionally because <laughs> they have that line that they always do like hello nurse where Every time they see that one, like, I think her name is literally Hello Nurse, and uh, she's this blonde lady that is an assistant to Dr. Von Scratch and Sniff or something. He's, like, the psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever. He pronounced it P-Psychiatrist. He is responsible for, like, reining in the, the Warner or the Warner Brothers and Dot. And so that that's that's the premise of it and it's it's like a sketch style show so each episode is like a few different sketches and it's not just the yakko wacko and dot it's also this whole cast of characters such as pinky and the brain okay i didn't know that pinky and the brain was part of this i thought that pinky and the brain were their own show 
because I, yeah. I don't remember these very well because I didn't watch them a lot because I was creeped out by the Animaniacs. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, the they looked like they had dead eyes to me. I, I just wasn't a huge fan of them. I kind of got the creeps, so I didn't watch that show. And uh, I remember specifically that I my mom didn't like Pinky and the Brain, so it was like... Ugh, don't put that on again so yeah <laughs> uh, i remember pinky in the brain more than i remember the animaniacs so i i guess yeah. i thought they were on different shows but i so i did watch the animaniacs when i was little i didn't watch it super often it was kind of this thing like i don't know if you had a show like this when you were little where you didn't see it very often but when it did come on it was like kind of a treat so that's kind of what the show was for me like i didn't always catch it just the time of day it came on but when i did it was always a good time but I didn't remember Pinky and the Brain being part of it. I actually only remembered Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. <laughs> I I most my most vivid memory of Pinky and the Brain isn't even like from the actual show. I used to have a friend who was like would quote that they always say like what's on the agenda for tonight? Time to take over the world. He would say yeah, that all the time. So <laughs> I I don't even remember this from childhood. I remember this from like college. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's like a lot of quotes from it that I forgot were from this that um, my stepdad says a lot because he was. So that brings me to my next point. It was kind of a weird demographic in that it was targeted towards kids, but because of the nature of it and because of just how it was received, it was very popular in the college age and up crowd. And so it was hard to pin down who it was for. And they wanted it to be more for kids. And then if you make it more for kids, then you take away some of the reasons why it was popular with adults. Which brings me to my next, next point, which is just the style of the show. So it's very Looney Tunes-esque in the sense that there's a lot of, like, cartoon violence and stuff. But there's also a lot of, like, political satire, social commentary kind of thing. And by social commentary, it's not, like, super serious. It's just kind of, like, stuff that is parodying, parod, parod... I guess that's a word, parodying pop culture, uh, just social things of the time. Uh, like they, they parodied Friends, they parodied a lot of Disney movies. There's the line in the, in the theme song of Bill Clinton plays the sax. So, and that's like the main reference I saw, because I didn't watch all the episodes, obviously, but that's the main reference I saw to Bill Clinton. They do, and I'll get into this later when I talk about the Hulu reboot, but they, they do uh, reference Donald Trump. It, it's just it's an interesting mix of like Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote kind of humor mixed with kind of something all its own. It was definitely inspired by that era of cartoons. SNL plus the, Lo the Looney Tunes equals Animaniacs? Basically, yeah. And so uh, in, in addition to, to Pinky and the Brain, which is probably the most famous series from that but there was also this thing called the good feathers which was kind of it was like goodfellas or the godfather but it was pigeons in new york uh this sounds like <laughs> something i would especially love i think I'm, you would yeah i might just look for these clips because that sounds right up my alley <laughs> yeah they're pretty funny i i they're pretty enjoyable i like those and also there was this one it was slappy the squirrel and she was like this older kind of cartoon character that she and she has a, a little nephew squirrel named Skippy that's like this very cute little boy squirrel. And 
a lot of it was like her being like kind of an old you know been in the business a while cartoon character so like there's this one episode where they she takes her nephew to see bambi except that they call it like blimpy or something i forget what <laughs> but it's like basically bambi and uh skippy is really upset because Bam- bambi's mom gets shot and so she she's like oh what do i do about this and she's like she's still alive he's like yeah that's this actress and then he she takes him to see her and it's like this old like retired deer like cartoon deer (laughs) and like that's like an old friend of hers is it's that kind of stuff that i think a lot of the show was just the writers having like a really good time i was gonna say (laughs) this sounds way better than i'm remembering it maybe the jokes just went like way over my head because i was a child and I would like it maybe more as an adult. You might. There was some stuff, especially because I watched some in later seasons. I think the first season is definitely the like solid stuff that like if you want to watch it, watch the first season and, and go from there. But like it definitely was like actually actually made me laugh. The other interesting thing about this show is that it came out after the passage of the uh, I forget the ex- exact name of it, but it was this law essentially saying in 1990 saying that television aimed at children had to be educational in some capacity what yeah like this was a thing that happened uh i remember watching many many a program that had no educational value so (laughs) i think uh (laughs) this must have gotten uh taken back sometime in the early 90s because i don't remember a lot of educational tv Okay, yeah, here we go. The Chil- Children's Television Act uh, that ordered, ordered the FCC to implement regulations surrounding programming that serves the educational and informational needs of children, as well as the amount of advertisement, advertising broadcasting during television programs aimed toward children. But this is interpreted rather loosely, especially by Animaniacs, because what they do to incorporate educational elements alongside like their, you know, innuendo kind of jokes is... Things like, you might have seen it before, it, uh, Yakko's Countries of the World song, where it's just Yakko listing off all the countries in the world it, to the tune of, like, the Mexican hat dance. Um, and there, there's other ones with, like, the presidents of the United States and the states and, and states and capitals in the U.S. And they're catchy. They're, they're fun. Like, it's enjoyable even if you're an adult. Did they do... I think the, the, I could be very wrong about this, but did the Animaniacs do a cover of that song that's like, Istanbul is now Constantinople? Oh, that's probably. Uh, I'm going to look it up. They Oh, Tiny Toons did. Oh, so okay. That, that was the, the Steven Spielberg's other thing uh, from before. So, yeah, like that, that. That's actually, in my head, also my main association with that Istanbul Constantinople song. Um, Like, that's where I heard it first, and I kind of, like, associate it with that in my head. So, the other interesting bit of this is that because, I think because of the more adult humor, it kind of took on a bit of a fandom on the internet, which was, you know, a new thing, a new hot thing during this time. There was a significant adult fan base that congregated on the internet which is like a pretty normal thing now but especially for like 
television aimed at children. Like, there are online fandoms for, like, Avatar The Last Airbender, Steven Universe, like, all those kind of things. Like, that's relatively the, normal. Oh, bronies. Is that the, what you are about to say? Well, I wasn't going to say bronies, but please talk about bronies. <laughs> I was going to say that there are at least five million Spongebob Squarepants memes. Oh, yeah, existence. that too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But, like, this is very normal now. But at this time, that, that this kind of thing was new because the internet was new. And there was also what I discovered... Um, a lot of Animaniacs fan fiction. And before <laughs> you before you panic, before you panic, <laughs> um, what I looked up, because I was very, I couldn't get a good read on like what type of fan fiction this is. I just looked up archived fan fictions. I read one because I, I was just curious. They're generally speaking, there probably is some like really gross, weird ones out there, but the, for the most part, by and large, they are not especially inappropriate. So I found archives of it on fanfiction.net, and most of them were rated K, K plus, or T. And those ratings, I'd look up those ratings, Matt. K, K is like G, K plus is like PG, T is like, like a soft PG 13. So most of them were that. Like I would say, like most of them were probably K plus. So like, kind of like what the show would be rated. And so I and the one I read was just like, the story was just that like Yakko was sick and he had like a weird virus. It was just it was very benign. It was just sort of like episode ideas, maybe like, yeah, yeah. And part of that might have been because after the first season, Fox started greenlighting less and less episodes per season. So maybe it was just people who were like starved for content and made their own. I think that might have been what it was. This is pretty nice. I like a nice yeah. tame fan fiction universe. Relatively wholesome. And I also <laughs> looked up uh, fan art because I want. I just wanted to get more of a vibe. And a lot of the fan art was like people who drew them as humans, as like, you know, teenagers or adult humans. So there was one I found of Dot that was rather unsavory. So I don't recommend going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, let me save you the trouble and say that, you know, there's just a light dosing of uh, weird stuff. Uh, and, you know, whoever made that probably, like, needs to, like, <laughs> needs to be executed or something. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> The only, I'm against the death penalty ex with the exception of people who draw sexual drawings of Dot. <laughs> yeah, leave Dot alone. The only crime that's punishable by death is that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> Send him to the gallows. <laughs> There's just a really unfortunate amount of like girl cartoon characters being really fetishized by adult men, which is so gross. Yeah, that's kind of like, and I, I imagine one day we'll cover bronies on this podcast, or just you know My Little Pony, but then you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. association bronies we'll have to get into bronies for sure and I'll, I'll offer you know a pretty good defense of bronies because i think overall they're pretty you know benign chill people who just like my little pony but you know hidden in there are some people who write some interesting fan fiction of my mm -hmm. little pony that's just sitting there on the internet waiting for some kid 
who likes My Little Pony, googling stuff about it to come across. You know, it's uh, it's a bit int- it's, it's a bit dangerous, but that's 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 for a later episode. Other things that were kind of like unique about the show is that the production quality was like really high for an animated show. So for one thing, the animation quality, like they had more, the terminology is like over my head, but like basically I think they have like more frames or per per second or I don't know, something like that that like just makes the animation higher quality for the time period. Um, as far as like 2D animation goes, because, you know, simultaneously in the 90s, this was like the dawn of you know, Pixar and all that stuff that was making a different type of animation. But as far as 2D right. cartoon animation goes, like they really went kind of above and beyond what average daytime television cartoons were doing. On top of that, they also, the music was above and beyond because they the theme song actually won an Emmy the year that it debuted. <laughs> yeah, it won an Emmy for best song. To us, it's just, you know, the theme song for Animaniacs. But I guess at the time, if it's brand new, it's like, damn, that's a very elaborate theme song for for a kid's show. It also, the other interesting thing is that each episode, every time, was scored by an orchestra. Like a composer wow. like made an individual score for each episode. Not like, theme song notwithstanding. It was like, they, they scored it every time. And so that really just kind of took it from, you know, a regular cartoon show to something like very special and unique, I think. What is the budget for? Like that budget has to be outrageous to have individual orchestral music on every episode of a kid's show. It had to be pretty high, I think. I didn't get an exact idea of the budget, but like Steven Spielberg was attached to this. Uh, a lot of people who were like really big in the animation business were attached to this. I think Fox trusted them with a lot at first. And like that that first season they got a lot of like they they got a lot of ratings and they had like a just a ton of episodes in that first season. Like I think that like in my mind, you know, some people might disagree, but in my mind that's kind of like what I think of as like the entirety of that original show was like that big thick first season. And so it it just it had to have a pretty high budget, but like the product was great. Like it's a very well-made show. It's very well written. Like, a lot of love and effort was put into the creation of this show. Uh, but eventually, you know, went downhill because Fox kept giving them less and less. And I think they expected, because at this point, Warner Brothers had their own, like, the WB channel that you might recall. And right, I remember this. Yeah, and I think it was expected that they were going to find a new home over there for their kids' programming, but while Fox was able to kind of give them a bit of a longer leash in terms of, like, adult humor, uh, Warner Brothers, with their kids' stuff, that they were, like, less willing to let them be inappropriate. Like, no, if you're going to make a kid's show, you, you got to make a kid's show. And so it was just this kind of push and pull of, like, who is the audience here? Are we going to market this as a kid's show? Are we going to market it as an adult show? It's just, it, it just got real hairy real quick. Right, because you fall into that, like, should I lean into the adult humor and make this rated, like, what is it? Like, PG-13, but the television Tele- version. Yeah, like, TV, I think TV-14 is what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, so, so should we lean into, like, the adult humor and go TV 14 or age this down for actual children because the nineties really did start this wave of like very adult cartoons. 
Yeah. I myself was completely forbidden from watching Rin and Stimpy because (laughs) it was a little too adult content for my family. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, the cartoons of of yore, or whatever, of of yonder, whatever the phrase I'm looking for is, the Looney Tunes and stuff like that, they were violent, sure, but they're not inappropriate, and from what I gather, not really making any significant political commentary, or they're not, like, you know, spoofing politicians or spoofing pop culture references that a lot of kids might not get. Right. So Animaniacs was kind of a thing of its own, and I don't know that there's anything quite like it today except for the reboot. <laughs> that uh, So that brings me to the reboot. You know, it was canceled in 98, and then the, the fandom kind of lived on, and in 2018 they announced that they were going to make a uh, reboot of it on Hulu. And so, and Steven Spielberg is still attached, the original creator... The, the, Steven Spielberg, I think, is the producer or something, but the, there's a separate creator. And so they're all still attached. A lot of the same voices are still attached. Although I will say that Dot's voice sounds a bit different in the new one. And part like it sounds a little bit lower. Part of that might be because the voice actress is older. I don't know. I, I do not know. But so I watched some of the new show. It's pretty good. It's like, it's it was interesting. It was a bit trippy because like... So the, the, the premise of it is that they had been, you know, locked away again for the past 22 years. And then so they're brought back into the world. And this is the world in 2018 because it was written in 2018, even though it premiered in 2020. Or they even said, like, we don't know who the president's going to be, but uh, <laughs> it might be the same guy, but it might not be. So <laughs> uh, it would be really hard to write things in advance for 2020 and get them accurate because nobody on earth saw 2020 playing out the way that it did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can't imagine they had no idea. And so what they did do, they make a lot of direct hits on Donald Trump, a lot of digs on him, which is great a delight really no longer associated with the fox network (laughs) yeah yeah exactly uh and so the way the way the new series starts out is that it starts out with like that scene from jurassic park where uh they are driving around for the and see like the dinosaurs for the first time and they have everyone there i think they actually have laura dern voicing herself because it sounds like and i think jeff goldblum too and then Steven Spielberg is there too, and he's like the the Jurassic Park owner guy, and he's like, "Welcome, John Hammond." Yeah, he's John Hammond, and and but instead of a dinosaur, it's Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, and oh, they're, they're back. Awesome. And um, and that's not the first time that that Steven Spielberg has been in the show and has made a reference to one of his movies because there's this one episode in the original series where they are in the Sistine Chapel. Sistine Chapel. What's the thing that Michelangelo painted the roof of? That's the Sistine Chapel. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> um, they were they were there with him while he was painting, and they helped him paint it. And instead of God, it E. T. was in place of God in that painting. Oh my gosh! Amazing. <laughs> and then and then um they reference like Your Eminence, and then um and then Steven Spielberg shows up. <laughs> so this isn't the first time they've done something like this but he shows up in Jurassic Park and then they end up getting you know allowed to go back to their water tower where they're kept 
and uh, they're like, what did we miss? Like, they, they don't know anything because, you know, that they, they were put away or whatever in the 90s. And then they're, like, talking to the boss of, like, the the CEO of the Warner Brothers. Not actually, but... Um, and she's, like, this woman. And Dot's like, wow, a woman in power. And she's like, yes, but I like to burn the ladder below me. That's awesome! <laughs> <laughs> and so um she has a tablet and yakko's like what's that and she's like it's a tablet it's the sum of all the sum total of all human knowledge and yakko's like wow the sum total of all human knowledge and one easy to swallow tablet and he takes it and swallows it and then it uploads to his brain and that's how he like learns about everything that's happened since the 90s and that's very clever yeah it's very fun and um and Pinky and the Brain are back in the reboot, but uh, thus far I haven't seen many of the same like other skits. Like I don't think Slappy's back, and I don't think uh, the pigeons are back. Bring the pigeons back! Bring, Bring the, the pigeons, pigeons back! back. Uh. Uh. <laughs> but so the the one big Donald Trump reference I saw, except for like in the beginning, is that they spoofed the odyssey and so the three of them were greek gods and they were mad at odysseus and they were like smiting him and whatever and like nothing they were doing was like actually bothering odysseus that much and so he, they sent him to the island of the cyclops and the cyclops was donald trump the, the he was like i have two very beautiful functioning eyes and, just, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, that's good yeah, yeah. um you, this is a big advertisement for me to watch the new animaniacs yeah yeah well i recommend the old one too just so you have like the nice primer so the other the other differences in the show is that the theme song is it's the same theme song just with some slightly changed lyrics like instead of bill clinton plays a sax it's, it's something else the main difference is that they make some reference to like oh what is it like uh gender balance pronoun neutral ethnically diverse like that that's a line in it i think so that's an interesting part because it's like i think what they're trying to do there is like they're like this is a reboot but this time it's this and that's kind of like the way that studios like to kind of like a lot of reboots things have gotten rebooted but they've made them a little bit more um diverse for you know the modern age like that's kind of a thing and so I, I couldn't decide if that read as, like, um, taking a dig at, like, PC culture or whatever, or if it was, like, taking a dig at the way that, or like, reboot culture. So I, I don't know quite how, I think, I think probably how that reads depends on who's listening. Right. Because to me, I would listen to that as, like, a dig on PC culture. But I think, you know, you could equally say that it's a dig on reboots pretending that there was never an issue to begin with right yeah exactly and the other thing well because they also i think one thing in favor of it being that is that they have like a big they have a lot of jokes about how they're like sellouts who um rebooted like everyone else did Be oh okay that's pretty good <laughs> yeah. yeah but but on the other hand you know i think it could could be interpreted as that and so it's kind of it's kind of an iffy point where it's like the very nebulous idea of diversity and then also like the pronouns thing gets a lot of, like that's a frequent target of just people who want to like make fun of like the world nowadays just take a dig at like you know pronouns oh i've had to i had to call someone they instead of he so the world is coming to a fucking end yeah exactly so it's like is it that 
Maybe, because, you know, surely the people writing this are, like, older people if it's a lot of the same writers. So that might be them kind of, you know, their perception of the current world. And so that's that might be. And especially where it's, like, that in conjunction with, like, the Trump, the anti-Trump jokes is is that, like, the people who write this show are old liberals. So they're not, they're not, they're not like young leftists. They are old liberals. And I think that's a key. The, the Gen X neoliberals that uh, run the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's what we got creating this. And, and so, and you know, that, that's a perspective. And so I, I think maybe if you ask one of them, they'd be like, no, I got no problem with trans people. I got no problem with pronouns, but it's like, they still kind of want to stab at it. Like, isn't it funny, though, that we have to use different pronouns? I'm cool with it, but I also think it's a joke. Exactly. That yeah. sort of attitude. Yeah, and so I think, um, ultimately, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot are the puppets of the animators. They're not the animators, sorry, the writers. I mean, probably the animators, too, but they're more just doing the, 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 the drawing and whatnot. They're the mouthpieces for the writers, who are telling their jokes like they it's basically their comedy routine through the filter of these characters and so that that's why it's interesting that you know and so i i think you get jokes about donald trump which is fun enjoyable for the whole family we love that but you know you also also get a a few little jabs at uh you know this woke culture (laughs) uh So, mixed bag. Right, that's a mixed bag. And, you know, sometimes I think that woke culture, in quotations, does need to be mocked, but not for using appropriate pronouns. That's pretty standard, I think. No, I think, yeah, Uh, uh, woke culture, in the sense of, like... I mean more so, like, white people adopting (laughs) woke culture to make them feel better about privileges. Oh, yeah, yeah, that... that and like the way that companies and like studios yes. will kind of adopt it to make themselves appear with the times and like they care on a very surface level. And I think um, that's that's a relevant feeling because of everything last summer. Well, everything the past year, really, because you also have companies being like, we care about this. Your- yeah, exactly. We're all in this together, even though you are on the verge of financial ruin and we have made an extra billion dollars this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking at you, Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the people last summer who were, it's like every company released some kind of statement on Black Lives Matter and to the point where it was like, I don't know, Combos releases their, their statement on the current like right current and, social justice issue and it's like what and not only let me release a statement let me find one black employee employee <laughs> of this company to come be the face of this this ad campaign now and it's like oh okay so literally using black people as a shield <laughs> right and then also uh, like how are people actually how are black people actually treated at your company right and also are you uh being conscious of giving your black employee good healthcare options and giving them good solutions to work through a pandemic answer if you're amazon no (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and and the idea of pretending to actually care about these issues 
on the surface, it's easy to say like, oh, well, I care if, you know, XYZ humanitarian crisis is happening. But it's another thing to pay your employees badly and essentially create certain conditions that allow people to suffer when you have the power to change that. Again, looking at you, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> looking at you, Jeff Bezos. Looking at you, Elon Musk. Looking at you, Walton family. Um, the list goes on. And so the list goes on. We could talk, we could just list a bunch of companies who made a Black Lives Matter campaign or a Pride campaign or a We're in This Together campaign in 2020 while also treating their employees like shit. We could just talk about that for another hour. <laughs> right. So so I think, you know, on the one hand, could they have been poking fun of that kind of thing? Maybe. Are they? I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to choose to read it that way because that makes me feel better. I want somebody to make fun of that desperately. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I would love to just see specifically an animated kids show, like rip apart that narrative. Yeah. And like, clearly they are cognizant of the fact that like this reboot trend is happening because of the money, because they, they have this part where the, the three of them are like, clad in a bunch of like hulu merch and they're like we're not sellouts you know so <laughs> that's pretty good yeah so like some jokes indicate that they are kind of like thinking about this kind of thing and and so that that's okay i i think i don't know um it's so it, it's it but it's been overall just very interesting to see this thing from my childhood that i didn't even realize was all that political or like had any commentary or anything because that all went over my head as a kid. But going back and watching the 90s version of it and seeing that, but then seeing it updated for the current world was a weird experience, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but I, if they do a second season on Hulu, which I think they will, although they could have already done it, like it could already be completed and or in the process, and but basically already written. But it'd be really interesting to see if what they do with, covid because mm, you know on the one hand it is a thing that is happening to us all on the other hand a lot of people have died so i don't know uh, i don't know <laughs> kind of the thing everyone's Here's grappling with i guess this is like my this is nothing i don't you know other people are going to feel differently this is just my personal opinion i don't want to see covid reflected in my entertainment media at all yeah. um I don't want TV shows about it. I don't want to see movies about it. I want to completely escape into a world where COVID doesn't exist. That was, that's, that's just where I'm at with what I want to see. Uh, I liked the movie Happiest Season mostly because it felt like an alternate reality of 2020. Yeah, because it like, did take place was, this year. <laughs> it took place this year and they filmed it in January before anything horrible started happening i mean uh, horrible things were already happening but before <laughs> covid happened so this was like what the world was supposed to be like in 2020 christmas time yeah so i liked that escapism like it made me feel good because it felt like an alternate timeline so i would like to see all of my media sort of follow suit and not talk about COVID. i <laughs> have mixed feelings about that because i haven't seen very many things that like are good i did see that love in the time of corona thing so that show that show was interesting i i don't know if animaniacs is the right 
medium to make COVID, <laughs> COVID positive. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's like the, okay, so like the Grey's Anatomy thing. Yeah. That like Meredith has COVID <laughs> and is having like uh, fever dreams while being vented about dead people that she's lost. It's like, oh, that sucks. That's too much for everybody. I don't even watch that show, but if I watched that show and saw that storyline, I'd be like, I'm done with this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I got exhausted with Grey's Anatomy a long time ago for a variety of reasons, but I think that would have been the... I've heard it, that from almost everyone. <laughs> it's, ex- it's an exhausting show. It, if nothing else, it is uh, tiring to the soul. Um, but <laughs> I think if 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 plenty of other things hadn't have been the final straw, I think uh, Meredith getting COVID would have been it for me. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think there's a way to cover it in a way that's, like, responsible. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure, probably not in the next two years, but in the next five years, we'll have an Oscar-winning COVID drama. Like, it's just inevitable, and I kind of dread it already. (laughs) Yeah, like, I I don't don't really want to see what, like, you know, rich people have to say about the pandemic. (laughs) I I mean, like, because I feel like, there, there's people who i mean not to say that like rich people haven't lost people during the pandemic but i think that by and large the people who are suffering the most are people who are not able to work from home people who have uh service industry jobs where they're being forced to work and not making very much money as a result of well we're gonna force things to be open so people can make money but because it's a pandemic and people don't want to go to restaurants they're still not making money and so um that's just one specific version of that but we can't we can't give you unemployment because you're technically employed so even though you're making maybe a fourth of what you were and you're putting your life at risk oopsie uh, yeah deal with it that's that kind of stuff yeah and so i don't want to hear what uh people who have been fine during the pandemic i don't want to see that i don't want to see their version of this that much uh that doesn't it like it's gonna come off like gal gadot's imagine video you know yes yeah exactly uh yeah i'm i'm sure that like Matt Damon will be in a movie where he plays a doctor and he's dealing with a COVID crisis and he's very sad and all this, but like, I don't want to see that movie. I don't, I'm not, I have zero interest in it. It's already real enough for me. It's like, I've, I've heard people who lived through like Vietnam or like, you know, who served in that war don't want to see movies about Vietnam because they lived it and they don't need to see it. And it's like, yeah, exactly. I don't need to see it. I lived through it. Well, that and like, yeah, who would it be for? Because it's not for doctors. They're not going to want to see that. That's like, right. It, it's going to be extremely triggering and hard to watch. <laughs> right. And and it's not it's not for I mean, there's some regular people who would just like people who just love trauma porn would be all over it. But that's not that's not the like as a writer. Is that the population you want to serve? For some people, yes. <laughs> More likely than you think. Uh, uh, because that kind of shit wins Oscars, unfortunately. Trauma porn wins Oscars more than any other type of movie. Yeah, exactly. And it usually comes at the expense of marginalized people. The, I mean, in this case, it would come at the expense of like people who have had to bear the brunt of the pandemic. But generally speaking, it comes at the expense of like 
black people only seeing movies about slavery or people with disabilities only seeing movies about suffering or trans people seeing movies constantly about trans people getting like beaten up and murdered like you know i was going to literally reference dallas buyers club and that the movie that won an oscar because a straight white man had aids and a cis man played a trans woman with aids yikes that's just a big yikes all around yep it's horrible i hate that movie and i hate that everybody won oscars for it because it's it's not even that good uh so yeah and uh we don't stand jared leto in this house but oh not even for one second um what a weird guy uh yeah um this is a this is a strictly anti-jared leto podcast yeah he can Uh. get out um (laughs) but but anyway yeah so i don't want drama porn but i also don't want the animaniacs version of COVID. yeah yeah bring it back i don't want the trauma porn i don't want to see the animaniacs covid jokes so this is an open letter to steven spielberg um maybe just give it a couple years before you try and do something with covid on animaniacs maybe just like pump the brakes on animaniacs for a little while like let us just ruminate on this current season that's out you know we made fun of donald trump some we you know we had we had some fun but i think um i think we're good for right now that is my thought this is a very weird episode because we like you know we we kind of went all over the place uh that's okay you know sometimes you sometimes you get off track when you start talking about how much you hate covid (laughs) (laughs) yeah this this one you know some episodes are just going to be kind of like a lot of fun facts you know what did we learn (laughs) we're just just reviewing things children's television act uh animaniacs had um an original score for every episode uh steven spielberg was involved bet you didn't know that actually probably a lot of people did i just didn't know i didn't i didn't know that either so yeah well i did like it's it's unexpected but uh but i you know it was fun to to watch these like i I woke up yesterday morning today's sunday so yesterday was saturday i woke up on a saturday morning i made cereal and i watched my cartoons like it it was fun to to do this for myself that's a really good morning. That's yeah. a, a solid 8 out of 10 right there. Oh, yeah. It, it was good. And I had corn pops. It was nice. Corn pops? Well, I am here to defend corn pops. They're pretty good. The only cereal that I can never stand by, and it is my dad's favorite cereal, are sugar snaps. They are the worst thing on the earth, and I hate them so much, but they are my dad's favorite cereal. Oh, yeah, I know what those are, vaguely. I don't think I've ever consumed it before in my life. You're not missing anything. They're not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can really use some cookie crisp. I really want, like, literally just cookie crisp. Yeah, literally just little cookies. That is the cereal. I want to eat it. I am I am a big uh, Lucky Charms gal, oh, and yeah. when I'm when I'm not in a Lucky Charms mood, I'm in a Cinnamon Toast Crunch mood. Those are my two go tos. Oh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is really good. I also I really would like some Fruity Pebbles. That would be nice because the, there's just something about the smell of Fruity Pebbles that is just indescribable. 
Um, I saw a recipe for, it's not even like that revolutionary, but somebody made Rice Krispie Treats with Fruity Pebbles, and I've been wanting to try that oh, for a while now. I would like that very much. I need, oh man, I think I'm going to need to do a Target pickup order tomorrow for some Fruity Pebbles. Uh-huh. Um, It's sugary cereal. Listen, my serotonin depends on sugary cereals right now, and- some people use animaniacs yeah yeah. people use fruity pebbles to cope that's what i'm doing so leave me alone to the non-existent critics of my fruity pebbles i'm not gonna shade you for your fruity pebble love ever (laughs) i'm i'm so glad this is a judgment-free zone i won't shame you for your lucky charms no i don't think anyone would that's 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 a good choice it's a solid choice that no one no one's gonna have a complaint about lucky charms or cinnamon toast crunch I do eat my Lucky Charms in a very tedious way because I'm weird about food in general, but I always pick out the actual cereal pieces and eat around the marshmallows. So my last like four spoonfuls of cereal are just marshmallows and milk. (laughs) That's the way to do it. Save the best for Uh, last. It takes me like trip. That's my mentality and it takes me a million years to eat one bowl of Lucky Charms. (laughs) Like you're savoring Uh, it. really just taking it in. I think that that's that's a worthwhile way to eat them. Anyway, this has been Serial Talk with Ruining Your Childhood. Maybe we'll ruin cereal. Email the podcast your your favorite types of cereal. Yeah, email the podcast. We could do a whole we could do a whole ruining your childhood episode on cereal about how horrible cereal is for you, but I I would never want to do that to myself. No, like I, I don't um, want that information myself. I would never put it on to <laughs> our beloved audience. Right. I don't need to hear about it. I don't want to hear about how they're marked with the whole grain label, even though it's not really whole grain. Or I'm sure there's some horrible dark story about that. Yeah, but yeah. I don't need it. I don't need it in my life. No. I'd like to enjoy sugary cereal, please. Yeah, just like leave us alone. Leave us alone. And this is me talking to ourselves. <laughs> yes, me to me. Don't look into things that you know are going to upset you. <laughs> <laughs> as hard as it may be. Well, anyway. This has been a very weird episode of Ruining Your Childhood. We'll be back uh, either next week or the week after. Do not recall. We we are at some point taking a week off in February, but that time is to be determined. So yes, that's that's why I said that we're not just we're not just uh, playing it fast and loose. I just uh, we might have even decided. I just don't remember. <laughs> I don't think we did. We, we, okay. we were just like, oh, we don't have enough content for the month of February. It's fine. Let's just leave it with what we have. Yeah, we're going to go on a staycation um, <laughs> from the podcast. We still have day jobs. Yeet. <laughs> anyway. Um, good riddance, dear friends. Good riddance. Good riddance.